following presentation is part of a six-week class titled Introduction to Mindfulness. The class is offered at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So it's nice to begin uh, the six-week class with a little taste of mindfulness, so we'll do that now. But if you haven't already, make sure your cell phone is shut off. And I'll talk more about posture a little bit later, but just do what you can to feel stable and comfortable in your posture. And we're doing a very particular kind of training for the mind. And so we'd like the body to support that particular training we're doing for the mind. And that training for the mind has to do with both this cultivation of alertness and relaxation. So it's helpful if the body reflects that intention. Right? We want the mind to be both alert and relaxed. So what posture, what shape of the body... You know, and it will be different for everybody because our bodies are different, our ages are different. Some of you have injuries or certain strengths or weaknesses. So, listening to your body, but how can the body and the posture of your sitting support this attention that the mind be alert and relaxed? So just explore that. And we can begin this simple reflection by noticing what the mind is aware of now, with the eyes open or closed. What is the mind knowing? And is it possible for the mind to just leave it alone, leave things alone? So, for example, if you're knowing some unpleasant sensations in your body right now, is it possible for the mind to leave these sensations alone? Not to ignore them, but to not try to control or fix, or get rid of. So, at its essence, mindfulness meditation practice is this art of non-interference. The mind is both alert, but also not interfering, not judging whatever it is that it's knowing, whatever it is that it's alert to. Let's do a simple body scan as a way to explore the experience of mindfulness. So, beginning in a very simple way by feeling the top of the head. Now, the sensations at the top of the head aren't that obvious, but there are sensations here. The weight of the hair, maybe sensations in the scalp, even underneath the skull, 
pressure in the brain at different places. Simply feel the top of the head as it actually is now. And just see, can it be left alone? Aware, but leaving it alone. And then simply opening to both sides of the head, both ears. Aware and accepting that the sides of the head are like this now. Opening to the back of the head, just as it is. Unconditional acceptance. Taking the time, being interested now in the forehead, the front of the head, and the brow. Even feeling the air touching the skin of the forehead, knowing that there is simple, direct experience of air touching the skin. Any tension in the brow, feel both eyes now, and noticing any movement in the eyes. And just accepting how the eyes are now. You can even feel the eyelids making contact with the eyeballs, that simple experience of touch, and any movement there, any tension in the eyes. And then more generally, feeling the full face, beginning by just feeling the air making contact with the skin of the face, And then any muscular tension in the face. Is the face tight or soft? Feel the jaw. Feel the air moving in and out of the nostrils. Or for some of you, in and out of the mouth. Noticing if the lips are touching or apart, dry or moist. Feeling the teeth and gums and the tongue. So you see that part of mindfulness practice is this ability to be intimate with things as they are. So. For a few more seconds, feeling the whole head and the entire face together as one thing. It's very simple, immediate knowing that the head and face is like this now. Can this be okay? Not needing it to be different than how it is now. Letting the attention come down into the neck, sides of the neck, feeling the throat, the front, feeling the back of the neck, 
So in a sense, soaking into the neck, soaking the awareness, resting the awareness into the experience of the neck, just as it actually is done. Not afraid to feel any tension that might be there. So we're not trying to make the, the neck different than it is. And from the neck, begin to feel the tops of the shoulders. So sliding right down the sides of the neck into the tops of the shoulders. And then eventually feeling both shoulder joints. Notice how the mind can be both alert, interested, and relaxed and accepting. And just continue down and feel the biceps and the underarms, including the clothes, the sleeve touching the skin of the arm of the biceps, feeling the bend the elbows and the forearms, feeling the arms as they are, the wrists, backs of the hands and the palms, and feeling all the fingers, noticing those places of contact or pressure, the touching. Feeling both arms and letting things be. And we're feeling the sensations now in the trunk, beginning at the upper chest and upper back, and just as a CAT scan might move down through the chest or torso, we're going to move the awareness from the upper back and upper chest slowly down, just feeling what we feel. So the collarbones, of course. Feeling the upper part of the structure of the ribcage. Upper back, upper chest. And little by little, let the attention continue to open down through the mid-chest and the shoulder blade area. Feel the clothes against the skin. And of course, feeling the natural movement of the rib cage with the breath, the beating of the heart. Down through the mid-back, lower ribs, lower chest. Feel the diaphragm area. Noticing the different sensations in the solar plexus, mid-spine, sides of the ribs, upper abdomen, the solar plexus, the kidneys, moving into the lower back slowly, vertebra by vertebra. belly, feeling aware of all 
all the organs here, into the lower back, the tops of the hips, and then settling into the experience of the pelvis, the structure of the hips, the pubic bone, the groin, the floor of the pelvis, simply feeling things as they are, being both interested or alert, and accepting and relaxed. Feeling both thighs, so out of the hip sockets, we feel both thighs, both legs, the knees and backs of the knees. Willing to open to both shins and the calves. through the ankles to the heels and both feet, toes. Unconditional surrender to both legs, pelvis, in fact the whole body. So in a sense, for a few more seconds, we're sitting right in the middle of this lived experience of body, body sensations. In a sense, it's like a great ocean, churning, swirling, ocean of sensation of this body. Sensations coming and going, some are pleasant, some are unpleasant. Many of the sensations are neutral. We tend not to notice. And we're cultivating an alert and relaxed attention. Not judging, not denying, and not grasping or controlling. Letting the body be. So now at the end, just check. Is it possible to stop being aware now? Is there an off switch? So you're being invited to notice how awareness or knowing is an inherent quality of the mind. That's something that you personally turn on and turn off. This is what the nature of the mind is really, to know. It knows it's like this now. So if your eyes have been closed, you can slowly open them. And then if you feel the need to stretch out your body in some way to release any tension, feel free to do that.
So now I can say welcome. Welcome, everyone. Some of you I know, many of you are relatively new or very new to the center. So welcome, glad that you found it, and glad that you decided to come to the class. My name is Mark Nunberg, and I, my wife and I started the center back in 1993. And this is a Buddhist meditation center, a Vipassana center, sometimes we call it, coming out of the Theravada Buddhist tradition. Often in the West, we call this Vipassana, this style of practice Vipassana, or insight meditation. But it's really the continuation of the Theravada Buddhist tradition that you might find in places like Thailand and Burma, Sri Lanka, and Laos and Cambodia, then South Asia. And uh, even though this practice comes out of a very specific Buddhist lineage, I like to say, and you'll probably figure this out, it's really basic human common sense. I mean, nobody owns the idea of being mindful. It's like any human being, if, it, if they pay attention, will discover that it's really functional to be mindful in life. And the Buddha, in a sense, took it to the nth degree and really built his articulation of, of being skillful around the development of mindfulness. And mindfulness just means it's this training or this development of mind, which is all about clarity, this brightness or alertness, but the key, and this really uh, will understand as you develop your meditation practice, the key is to recognize that there isn't really any alertness without relaxation. Like a lot of times we have the sense of concentrating or focusing the mind, but often it's fear-based. It's like, I've got a test tomorrow, or I've got this job interview, or I've got this presentation... <laughs> I really need to focus, I really need to be concentrated, I can't get distracted, I can't look at the internet. I... But it's all fear-based. So, what people find is that real clarity comes when the mind isn't afraid and isn't greedy. So that's why we train in formal meditation. It's like we're creating the optimal conditions to cultivate that very bright, alert, and continuous attention, but not driven by fear or greed. And it just so happens that that mindful attention, that continuous, alert, bright, interested, non-greedy, non-fearful attention, sets up what we, we call insight. You know, we, the mind then sees what it hasn't seen before. Because what we find, everyone I'm sure finds this, when the mind is greedy or caught in craving or caught in fear or aversion, that those qualities distort the mind. And so the mind doesn't see clearly. It can't actually see how it is. And so how is the mind going to know how to respond to the moment appropriately? It doesn't. Because the sense of how we should respond is based on the distorted scene caused by the craving or the fear or the aversion or the 
distraction or the denial or whatever kind of distortion was present. So the formal training, what we call meditation practice, is basically uh, finding relatively optimal conditions to train the mind to do what we want it to do all day long. But like any kind of training, it's always easier if you begin with optimal conditions. It's like you don't give a child this fancy 10-speed racing bike and, no, they get a tricycle or whatever they get these days, right? So same with us. It's like uh, beginners, and I consider myself, I've been practicing continuously, not continuously 20 hours a day, but continuously like sitting at least every day, or almost every day for these years. Uh, but I still consider myself, you know, a very sincere, wholehearted beginner. Because the path is really vast. But I'm really, I'm quite enthused and appreciative of the path. So we want to take this vast view, and, and part of that respect for this practice, this path of practice, is how useful it is to have a formal training period where the conditions are a little bit more conducive to training the mind in the way we want to train it. I mean, we could go to the Mall of America or Nicollet Mall or <clears throat> some sort of interesting, you know, happen in place, and we could cultivate it there, and we would it would be good to cultivate it. There's nothing wrong with practicing in these more interesting, alive places. But all the things we hear and see and think and feel in those places are seductive. And the mind, the attention, will get seduced by what is it's seeing or thinking or hearing or smelling or tasting. And then it will want to proliferate. It will want to think about its experience, and will forget very quickly about mindfulness. More than anything, mindfulness is about remembering. We're remembering, and this is something good to remember, what I'm going to say right now. Mindfulness is more, mostly about remembering, and what are we remembering? We're remembering, this is how it is now. And think about it, we've been what we call conscious all day long since we woke up. But even though we were, in a sense, awake or conscious as we drove here or rode your bike here or whatever, you were conscious that how many moments, let's say it took you 20 minutes to get here tonight, in that 20 minutes, how many of those moments was the mind aware this is how it is now? Like right now, just Notice what that's like, to notice that sitting and listening to Mark is like this. Being here now, having a body sitting here now, having this mind that is aware of now, it's like this. It's surprisingly rare, even though we're conscious in the sense of being sensitive to what we see and hear and smell and taste and touch and think, we're not aware that we're aware. And see, it's that reflectiveness that is really at the heart of mindfulness. It's not enough to be conscious. 
is the mind right now aware that it's conscious? Aware that it's knowing, in other words. Right? There's always knowing. As long as we're awake, not unconscious, then there's knowing. But is there the mind, is there in the mind this reflective thread that knows that it's knowing? That is reflecting, oh, this is what's being known. This is how it is to be driving the common ground. This is how it is to be seeing, to be touching the wheel, the steering wheel. To be tight, to be relaxed, to be interested, to be bored. This is how it is. So we are living a life, or we could say a life is being lived, but how rare it is to know this is the life that's being lived now, in this moment. To actually, in a sense, land in the experience of being, in the experience of knowing, that's relatively rare. And when you get how rare that is, then it starts to make more sense why we want to set aside 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes, some people a couple hours a day, to formally train in that in the continuity of that reflectiveness, what we call mindfulness, where the mind is not only conscious, sensitive to sense experience, but it's aware that it's like this. It's reflecting, oh, or you could say it's remembering, it's like this now. It's like this now. And that phrase you can use, it can be a way of coming back, like when you've gotten distract, distracted, caught up in some thought. It can be a way to begin again with your mindfulness practice. Just that simple phrase, oh, it's like this now. This is being known. This is what's being known. This is how it is. Can this be okay? Because you want that reflectiveness not to be a control mechanism. Like, I'm going to recognize how it is in order to make it different. So, what we're doing with mindfulness is the knowing is enough. The knowing that it's like this is enough. And we're practicing not doing anything more than that. That's hard. We tend to fall on two sides of the fence with mindfulness. Because it's a subtle, this is subtle. It's really simple, but it's subtle, which makes it very challenging for us. And it's just not our habit. Our habit is to be distracted, to sort of just go through the motions, the routines that have been set already in our life. So if we're going to cultivate this remembering, it's like this, we have to be on the lookout of the two sides of the fence. One is to fall into the delusion that because it's so simple, it's like this now, we'll fall into the sense that I don't have to do anything. Like, we'll, we'll believe that mindfulness is so simple, I'm already aware, I don't have to do anything, and we'll stop practicing, and then we won't be mindful. We'll be our normally deluded self. We're aware, in a sense, or conscious, but we're not mindful, we're not reflective, or we're not remembering that it's like this. So that's one side of the fence, where we think it's so easy, so simple, but we won't do it. And the other is, we'll, we'll think mindfulness is more than what it is. We'll just assume that being mindful means cleaning house, fixing the mind, 
making things different than they are. You know, and we all, some of us more than others, you know, have this sort of controlling type A personality. And so, if you're that way, if that's your general personality type, then generally you're going to fall off the fence on that side. And if you're more feeling more the victim, more it's too much, life is too difficult, your tendency is going to fall on the other side of the fence, which is thinking you're practicing but not practicing. So just be on the lookout. How many times in the 30-minute sit you're going to end up trying to control your life, trying to control your mind, trying too hard to be mindful. Because it's so simple, the effort is very refined. It doesn't take a heavy muscular effort to be mindful. Like right now, how much effort does it take to know that hearing is being known, the hearing of Mark's voice is being known, or sitting here at Common Guard is like this? What kind of effort is required to sustain that reflective knowing that being here now is like this. See, it's a very subtle effort. It doesn't take any mental or physical tension to remember it's like this now. Being alive is like this. Having a mind and body is like this. So be alert. <clears throat> if you're more the controlling type, be alert when there's unnecessary tension. If you're more the giving up type of personality, holding back, uh, afraid or averse to effort, then be alert to uh, this sort of passivity, thinking that there's no assertive part of the practice. There's two parts of the practice. There's the assertive part, which is actually being interested in the way that it is, that it is this way now, this is being known. So actively remembering, this is what's being known now. This is what's being known. It's like this. And then there's a receptive part. Can this be okay? Just letting this be. Trusting that this is, knowing that it's like this is enough. Because this receptive part doesn't mean you're not going to do anything for the rest of your life because you're just going to be aware it's like this. It means that knowing that it's like this also means you know that you're responding like this. So when you decide to stand up, you know standing up is like this. And when you stand, when you decide to stand on the platform and give a talk, you know, okay, giving a talk is like this. So this receptive knowing in no way stops the personality from doing whatever's next in your life. There is nothing passive, fundamentally passive, or withdrawn about being mindful. You can be the most energetic, involved, engaged human being on the planet and still be very mindful. It just means that as the personality is doing whatever the personality is doing, there are these two qualities, the receptive and the assertive qualities that have been developed. The assertive quality is the interest, the knowing, the wanting to know, the wanting to see, the wanting to connect, the wanting to remember. These are wholesome desires. Not all desires are bad. The desire to know, to see clearly, that's a wholesome desire. And 
the mind has cultivated this receptive quality. This is how it is. Can this be okay? Understanding that in this moment, it's already this way. So like if I'm aware of uh, embarrassment, I said something silly or stupid, and then it triggers some emotion, and there's some embarrassment, shame, and now there's a moment of mindfulness, and the mind is alert, it's recognizing, oh, this is how it is. This is what's being known. And then the receptive part goes, can this be okay? Because in this moment, the shame or embarrassment that's there, that's being known, it's already there. So to get tight, you see, it's, it's really unnecessary to get tight around something that's already true. The appropriate relationship to something that's already true is just to let it be true. The knee already hurts now. Can this be okay? The mind is already confused. Well, can confusion be okay? It doesn't mean we're not saying, and I'll be confused, I accept, you know, I'll just destined to be confused or shameful or embarrassed for the rest of my life. It just means in this moment, it is this way now. So, given that it is this way, can this be okay? Like as you moved your awareness through the body, that opening sit that we did, you might have noticed some tension. I sure did, in different parts of the body. And when we see or feel something that's unpleasant, there's a reflective tensing. You know, we the mind is repulsed, basically, by what's unpleasant, whether it's mental unpleasantness or physical unpleasantness. But all that is is more unpleasantness. So this receptive part of the practice recognizes that there's pain and recognizes that the pain is already here and now. So why layer on top of that or project on top of that more pain, more tension? It's already tight. The mind is already upset. You see how mindfulness is very related to compassion. We often don't talk about it in that way, but you see this willingness to include the way that it is, because it's already this way in this moment. That's what we call love. That's what love does. Love includes. Compassion includes. It accepts. It understands that everything that is clearly belongs, because it's already here. How could we say it doesn't belong? Like, how could we, you know, notice we have knee pain and say, wait a minute, you know? There shouldn't be knee pain. Well, there's already knee pain. Or, you know, my body shouldn't be hot now. It should be cool. Well, no. It's like, this is, this is life 101. It's like, it's already this way. So, who do we think we are telling ourselves it should be other than it is. Because it's already this way. You know, it's so absurd to somehow tell ourselves or tell the world when we're really deranged, you know, it shouldn't be this way. <coughs> well, what do you mean it shouldn't be this way? You know, even, even socially, it's like so many injustices, terrible things, prejudice, inequality, and so many different subtle and gross ways. But the fact is, it is this way. And if we're going to be a positive change agent, we have to start with the truth. It's like this now. 
And, and that actually allows us to see it. Because how are we going to know what to do to make things other than they are if we don't let it in? We really have to let it in. And that's really at the heart of mindfulness practice. So when you get confused over the next six weeks, remember these two qualities. Whether you use the terms of receptive and assertive, or you could be more specific. So the receptive, you could use words like trust, or acceptance, or relaxation, right? Or love. That's the receptive part. And then the assertive part, alertness, brightness, interest. Normally we think of these two mental qualities as being like, well, you can have one or the other, but you can't have both. But see, we're here to prove that's not true. That you can actually cultivate both of these qualities in your in our mind at the same time. Where we can be progressively with training more relaxed, more basic goodwill, kindness, love, and more interested, more alert, more present, and build on both of them. And it will get out of balance. Some of you know, depending on our personality, one will be easier than the other, and we might get really accepting but not much alertness, and we'll find that we're nodding off a lot in our sleep. We're so kind of yielding and receptive, we just yield ourselves right into tranquility, into unconsciousness, and then hopefully our snoring wakes us up, we realize, or, or you fall forward, and that wakes you up. Or you're, you're kind of in that control, got to do it right, wanting to know, wanting to see everything, and you start feeling the mind and body starts to feel more and more tight, and then more judgmental, because I'm not doing it right. And then that's the telltale sign that you've got the alertness. You might be really motivated, really interested, but you haven't been emphasizing the receptive, the trusting, the love, the acceptance piece. So remember these two qualities, whatever words you use, and don't use too many, just find a pair, a word that represents the receptive side and a word that represents the assertive side. If you don't know what words, just use alertness and relaxation to begin with, and that's enough. And then, as you're practicing, you know, using the instructions, just keep in mind, okay, it's really simple, I'm just developing these two qualities of mind. More and more alertness, can't have too much. More and more relaxation can't have too much. But they have to go somewhat hand in hand, because if they get out of balance, then the mind, the practice falls apart. And we get frustrated, because we're not having insight, we're not learning anything, and we think, I'm making a mistake, but it's just because we've lost mindfulness, we've lost that balance of alertness and relaxation. So in a few minutes, we'll, we'll do some more practice, and uh, we'll use the mindfulness of breathing. So what we did earlier tonight, you can work with it. I'm, I'll introduce a couple different techniques over the course of the six weeks, not too many. There are many, 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 many ways to be mindful. Because basically, any aspect of experience can be the ground or the training ground for mindfulness. So I'm going to introduce a few classic ways to develop mindfulness. But remember, during the day, you can be creatively mindful with whatever is arising in your life. 
But in terms of the formal training, when you sit down and do your formal sitting practice, meditation practice, then I recommend that you initially, you know, just pick one of the instructions I'm giving and stick with that. Chop around a little bit with the different instructions I give, the different techniques. But then just choose one you tend to like, the mind tends to like, and just stick with it. Because one of the easy ways to not get any benefit and then get frustrated because nothing's happening is to keep shopping around forever. And these days, that's very easy because there are a lot, there's a lot out there about meditation. And they're quite different, these, the different things you read or hear about meditation. So this is a Buddhist meditation practice. And even within the different types of Buddhist meditation, it's specifically a mindfulness practice, a practice that emphasizes mindfulness. And mindfulness is what? It's remembering it's like this now. That's what mindfulness means. Remembering, and you can emphasize that word remembering, it's like this. You're not judging that it's like this. You're just seeing clearly it is like this now. So it is a recognition of how it is now. Not a judgment. And it doesn't matter what the mind recognizes here now. Like I could recognize your sweatshirt, you know, that, that color, that form, that shape. It's like this now. Or I could recognize the sound of my voice, or I could recognize the heat in the body, or the tension in the knee, or the particular mood that is there coloring the mind. So there are really almost an infinite number of aspects of experience that could be recognized, it's like this. But mindfulness doesn't care. You know, so a moment of mindfulness isn't so much dependent on the object that's being known, it's more that an object that the present moment is being known. It's recognized, oh, this is being known. One of my teachers, Steve Armstrong, talks about it this way. And if you like that phrase, this is being known, or you could even name it, and you can use that from time to time, you know, seeing is being known, hearing is being known, sensations are being known. But what Steve would say is really emphasized is being known. So you would say something like, uh, you know, squinting is being known. Because the important thing is the is being known part of it. Not that you're feeling the tension of the squinting, but that that is being known. So the mindfulness itself is what is important more than what the mindfulness is revealing or seeing. Because we're really um, developing an intuition of this nature of the mind, this underlying nature of the mind that knows. Later in practice, and I'll talk about it as the weeks go by, this aspect of awareness, this reflective aspect of awareness, is very, as it, as the mind intuits it and trusts it more and more, uh, is correlated with experiences of freedom and wisdom and love. Surprisingly. Because normally we think, I gotta love or I gotta find freedom. But to recognize that there's already freedom here and now, that's the kind of freedom we're really interested in. Because we don't have to go anywhere. We don't need a different life 
Yeah, if only I had started mindfulness meditation when I was a young adult, but now I'm, you know, fill in the blank, and there are young people in the group, and I'll never catch up to them, and, or whatever. You know, I have, I have trouble with attention, I have ADHD, and I can't pay attention, I'm never going to get this down, or I've got a lot of physical pain, I've got a really busy life, I've got three cats. And, so we can be telling ourselves a lot of stories that in any moment, the mind, mindfulness can reveal, oh, it's like this now. This is just something being known. This is worrying being known, or judging being known. It's just judging being known. It's a powerful simplification. And there's a lot of freedom in that. So this is an invitation not to take this practice lightly. It is transforming. But you have to do the training. So be aware if you're sliding off on one side of the fence and trying too hard, and your mindfulness practice is really about controlling your mind, because that won't be it. That's not mindfulness. That's controlling your mind. And that will be experienced as stressful. right? Or you're not really doing anything, although you're telling yourself you're meditating. You're just sitting there, and the mind is just doing what it normally does. And then that's going to be frustrating because nothing will be different. You'll just get what you've always gotten. And you want to give up or go someplace else that will give you better instructions. But there you want to realize, oh, I'm not really doing anything. So of course nothing's happening. I have to do something. Now what am I supposed to do? Oh, I'm supposed to remember it's like this now. So initially, these phrases can be very helpful throughout the sit, as often as it feels useful, bring up that phrase, oh, it's like this now. And then the other thing, and this goes to the next technique, so the first technique I gave was the sweeping technique, where you just move your attention part by part, systematically, each place in the body gets equal treatment, no favorites, <laughs> to the toes, and then back up to the top, so as much time you can just sweep through the body, up and down. And then each moment that you open to the next place, you're cultivating those two qualities. Relaxed and alert. Accepting and interested. It's like this. Whatever part. And then to the next. And then to the next. Right? Now the next one is another very classic technique. Mindfulness of breathing. The Buddha extolled this practice, even after his deep insight, his full awakening, as we call it in the tradition. He continued to practice mindfulness of breathing, so it's a good thing to do. And it's just one of many useful techniques. It doesn't really matter where or how you feel your breath, but classically people generally feel it right here, as that simple experience of the air touching the skin right here as it comes in through the nostrils, and then, of course, as it goes out through the nostrils. But not only are you feeling the air coming in, but then you got to feel that little brief gap before the air starts to go out, and all the way, continuously, as the breath is going out, and that experience of nothing happening, that little brief moment, interlude, and then the breath starts coming in again. So you can feel it here, you can feel it as the rising and falling of the abdominal wall, or any number of other ways, those are the two more common ways that people feel the breath. But the important thing is to feel the breath 
in the body. So you're feeling the sensations of the breath. You're not thinking about the breath or imagining the breath, but the actual physicality of the breathing process is the anchor. And what are you doing with that physicality of the breath? You're practicing being alert, right? It's like this. Breathing in is like this. And acceptance, not controlling it, not needing to judge it, trusting the body to breathe, however it wants to breathe. The body knows how to breathe. 99% of the time, you're not aware that you're breathing, you're not trying, but now that you're mindful of breathing, you think you've got to do it. But the body knows how to do it. It's like those of you who are parents, you know, and there you are hovering over your 8-year-old, wanting to do it, and they're going... I don't need you to do this. You know, I could do this on my own. And that's like us with the breath. Just let the body breathe the way it wants to breathe. But even though you're letting the body breathe, you're not leaving. You're still alert, interested. Breathing in is like this, but you're not controlling it. So that's a beautiful technique because we learn so much about the mind. It has nothing to do with the breath. It's all about learning about the mind. The observing of the breath, the knowing the breath, is just a training ground for learning about the mind. So we're taking up this training of paying attention to breathing in, paying attention to breathing out, to learn about these two qualities of alertness and relaxation, and developing in them, and developing them, and noticing what happens when they get really developed, and there's some continuity of that. How... Beautiful the mind gets when it comes into balance. So there's, I'm going to give you a word for this balance. And often people translate this word as concentration, but it's really not a good translation. The Pali word, Pali is the language spoken around the time of the Buddha. It's related to Sanskrit, which you might have heard of. So Pali and Sanskrit, there's this word samadhi. Samadhi is this balance or this unification of mind. The mind has collected itself in this balance of alertness and relaxation. Calm and steady, clear, bright presence. And there's a beautiful balance. And it's experienced as an inner happiness or an inner bliss, really. And the mind feels really steady. And that's where we're going. Because using the breath in that way to cultivate that balance, makes the mind conducive to insight. It's very easy for that mind, that mind in balance, to see things as they actually are, not in a deluded or distracted or distorted way. And this is true in really mundane ways, just like really getting how we are in a particular relationship in our life, like how we're off or how we're misreading something. That steadiness, that balance will help in those very mundane things. I mean, it's not really mundane, it's important to learn about how we are in relationship with other people. But in a much deeper, more powerful way, we'll learn about the patterns of the mind itself and how so many of these patterns, like the pattern of taking things personally, is so destructive and unnecessary. We don't actually have to constantly be taking everything personally and how toxic it is to personalize everything. We personalize everything. It's now, you know, you probably notice it's getting dark, it's fall, 
And we can personalize it as if, you know, God is trying to punish us by making winter come. It feels personal, doesn't it? Like, something's wrong. We can personalize anything. But we want to do just the opposite. We want to abandon that tendency. What helps us abandon it? Well, we have to see it. We have to see how unnecessary and destructive it is. But you can only see it from a balanced, steady point of view. When the mind's caught in taking things personally, you can't see things clearly. So that's what we're going to do next. And then uh, we'll save some time. It would be nice to hear your experience. So first of all, you might want to stretch your legs. You've been sitting for a while. And then uh, after a few minutes of stretching our legs, we'll do some mindfulness of breathing practice. So either stretch out your legs or stand up for a few moments. Those of you who would really like <clears throat> or enthusiastic and want to immediately sit for 40 minutes every day, but your body's not used to sitting still for 40 minutes, you could sit for 15 minutes, then you could mindfully stand for 5 or 10 minutes, and then you could sit for the remaining time. So the Buddha taught that you practice mindfulness in the four postures, standing, sitting, lying down, and walking. So, sitting is conducive to more uh, the settling, the relaxation part of the practice. As, you know, makes sense, right? Not as much as lying down, as however. So, but sitting is kind of nice for those of us who tend to be wound up, which means all of us. So, I encourage everybody to use some sitting practice, but you can also use standing and walking, and I'll give you some instructions for walking practice next week. And because uh, for some people, walking will be a really important part of your practice. And for other people, you won't do much walking unless you go on retreats. So anyway, when you're ready, take a seat again. Do what you can to be comfortable. Next week, I'll talk more about posture. But for this first week, just do the best you can to feel stable upright in a way that doesn't cause a lot of tension. You might want to begin your sit with a couple of easy deep breaths. Take your time to fill and then empty the lungs maybe two or three times. First, paying attention to this process of breathing in deeply and exhaling deeply. And finishing up with one more long and easy exhalation. And then just allow your breath to continue on its own. You're not trying to make the breath any particular way. Fortunately, we can trust the body to breathe. And instead, we'll begin by just hearing the sound of the bell. 
And just practice receiving the sound of the bell. another minute or so. Let's continue to open to hearing. So in a sense, we're letting the mind be wide open, sensitive to hearing, alert, and accepting. Noticing how hearing happens effortlessly. Now, the same thing with physical sensations. So, as if we were listening to the sensations in the body, we just receive this great ocean of sensation that is the body. Everything is included, or everything is allowed to be this body, the sensations. Not afraid of the unpleasant sensations that may be arising now. And not ignoring the neutral ones. So there can be this clear sense that sitting is like this now. The sensations of sitting are like this. Can this be okay? So in a sense, we're making peace with the experience of sitting. Clearly aware and accepting. And of course, right here in the experience of the body sitting, notice the natural movement of the breath. Sensations of the breath coming in, sensations of the breath going out.
remember that practice is about not forgetting. So, as you're aware of the breath coming in, practice not forgetting the experience all the way through each in-breath and then all the way through each out-breath. But to do this remembering without unnecessary tension in the body or the mind. And you can use a meditation word to help keep the attention with the breathing process. So, for example, as you're breathing in, you could repeat the word knowing. Just remind the mind that it's knowing. It's knowing the breath coming in. So, as if you were whispering at the back of the mind. Knowing with the in-breath. And then the word ease with the out-breath.
willing to begin again and again. Is it possible to be, in a simple way, intimate with the breath coming in, breath going out, the mind is both alert and relaxed? When the mind gets distracted, let's say by physical pain, then if it's not a strong distraction, you can just continue with the mindfulness of the breath. But when there's distraction that's more compelling, in a sense it takes the attention away from the primary object, what we call the anchor, and it just brings it or takes the attention to the pain or to the thought or to whatever is the distraction. So then there can be a moment of mindfulness, the mind that recognizes, oh, it's like this now. Thinking, worrying, reacting to the physical pain is like this. Well, can this be okay? Because it is like this now. So... When the distractions are strong, then practice with them. Let them become the object of meditation for a while. For the mind is clearly recognizes, recognizing this is what's being known. Like even now as you hear my voice, then this is what's being known. Hearing is like this. Can this be okay? And then when there is no longer a predominant experience a distraction, then the attention will naturally be trained to go back to the primary object or the anchor. In this case, that's the movement of the breath in the body.
take a couple minutes now and we'll practice what we call an open attention practice. So just sitting as comfortably as you can. You might want to open your eyes, but you're not looking around, you're just gazing down toward the floor in front. Best you can, be comfortable. And now you're not directing your attention in any way. Which means that the knowing mind is just going to know what it knows. Sometimes it will know thought. Sometimes mindfulness will know sensations of the body. Sometimes sound. But the practice is to notice what the mind is knowing. Or to notice that the mind is knowing. And to help with open attention practice, you can ask a question from time to time like, what's the mind knowing? How's the mind? Is the mind tight or relaxed? So any of these kinds of questions then will bring the attention to how the mind is, what the mind is knowing. Remember, we're not trying to control what the mind is knowing or what the mind is doing. Just an interest in being aware, not forgetting that this is what the mind is knowing or this is what the mind is doing. Just for another two minutes or so, is it possible in a sense, to sit right in the middle of how it is. <laughs> and if there's a sense of self-consciousness, just know, okay, it's like this. Being self-conscious feels like this now. In this practice, mindfulness is a bit like a mirror that perfectly reflects whatever arises in front of it. But is in no way judgmental. It just knows it's like this. Resting in awareness.
So feel free to stretch out your legs, by the way. So the reason I introduced this last practice, this what I call open attention practice, is it, uh, as you might imagine, lends itself to daily life practice, where it's not really appropriate out in the world to be constantly directing our attention just to one object of experience, like the breath at the nostrils, right? But open attention, it doesn't matter what the mind is knowing. So it's perfect if you're engaged in a conversation or doing the dishes or whatever you're doing, the mind is knowing, and then you're just knowing that the mind is knowing that. So it's really useful to train. So whether you do this coming week the body sweeping practice, or the mindfulness of breathing as your primary training. Save a little time at the end, whatever amount of time you have to practice every day. Any time is better than no time, even if it's just a very short amount of time. I mean, in a perfect world, everybody would have at least 45 minutes a day to practice. But I know that not everyone's going to practice that long. So just do what makes sense in your life, but do some, and leave a little at the end, to do open attention practice. Even if you feel like you don't know what you're doing with that, that's okay. Because open attention practice will feel more amorphous. And then you want to judge yourself. But whenever you can, just remember, oh, well that's what's happening. Judging. Oh, okay. So now you're back on track. Okay, it's just judging being known. Okay, sitting. Sitting's being known. Softening the belly is being known. Having the hands wide open, that sensation, those sensations are being known. So we're just noticing the way it is. It's a training. The mind is normally being distracted from how it is. So we're retraining the mind to be aware it's like this. That's the open attention practice. And if you do the other, either the sweeping or the mindfulness of breathing, systematically, the whole system of the mind will settle down. It will feel more balanced. And all this other training will come more naturally when the mind is just more balanced. And I want to take a few minutes to be nice to hear from a few people how the practice was tonight. Mindfulness of breathing. Even in that short 20 minute or so, sit. What did you learn? What was challenging? What's confusing about the practice? What felt right or good? And if you do decide to speak up, please say your name and speak loudly so people can hear so what comes to mind? What did you learn? What was hard? I didn't feel well. Um, I'm returning and I haven't been successful so far in getting to all the six. To getting to all the... All the six classes. Mm-hmm. So I go again at each time. I am reminded if in my life if I I see the practices if I don't use it I lose it in a sense because when I sit down after the first half hour where I'm starting to feel grounded and, and listen to you speak I almost felt that sense of just having landed and all this awareness flooding you in the beginning and feeling like 
I'm aware yesterday, clearly, when we were driving to this outing with the family, when we got lost, I was absorbed in the, the tension of being lost and not just, this is how it is, we're lost, but okay. Instead of, my remark, well, now it's going to take an hour and a half. Create tension. My kids got quiet. My husband said, it's not my fault, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, this is so typical, and it's not necessary, and it was restructured. So I'm sitting here nodding, thinking all of the times that I've missed practice, and when I did go regularly, I was actually applying that. And it was transforming, even if it was just a moment. But what was the feeling when, what's the feeling now or then, just a few minutes ago, when you had that? Was it disappointment? Was it judgment? Like, are you judging yourself for having lost the no. thread of the practice? What I'm was sorry, the? My, my feeling of how I felt about being aware of yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Delighted that I'm aware that oh my gosh, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. There is a much easier way, and it is simple. And but I just twenty four hours later, I can. Yeah. Have to go but back. that's okay. Because so that in that moment, you have the opportunity to know, oh, being inspired is like this. So even really positive, wholesome states are subject to mindfulness. We just want to recognize, oh, feeling delighted, feeling hopeful, feeling inspired is like this. Because otherwise we'll get lost and we'll feel really personal. The inspiration will feel personal. But we want to keep bringing things back to their very basic nature. This is something that's being known. Right now. So, mindfulness, this whole path is built on something that's very truthful, very honest. We're not idealistic at all. It's just, this is being known. This is how it is. Keep grounding in that. It's very liberating to ground things in this basic notion. Because otherwise you could create a whole trip about being inspired and then being judgmental for having lost it before. You know, you could imagine how this could spin over the next, the course of driving home and lying in bed tonight and, oh, I've missed my opportunity, or whatever your mind might do, or this time I'm really going to do it. But those are self-dramas. And the way to cut through those self-dramas is to realize, oh, it's just thinking being known. Just drama being known. And you're just grounding it in this very basic truth that these are just thoughts being known right now. It's just like this now. And it feels like this in the body. Well, can this be okay? Thanks, Noel, for sharing your practice. Other thoughts from the sit tonight that, that make sense or didn't make sense or questions you have about the instructions? What comes to mind? I'm Brenda. And uh, I thought I was actually kind of humored because I was going back and forth between the two places, the alert and relaxed. I found myself straining to like hear everything and making sure I was hearing everything or whatever instruction you were giving us at the moment. And then I realized I was doing that. So I was like, okay, just chill, just listen. And then I almost started to nod. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, whoa, okay, come back. And it was just, it went just back and forth. Constantly. But we learn a lot that way. Like, we don't really know we've gone too far this way unless we actually go too far this way or too far this way, we actually have to go too far that way 
before we realize, oh yeah, this is unconsciousness, this is being stressed out. And then we know, like, like so much of knowing the way to practice is knowing what doesn't work. So, seeing what doesn't work means you're learning. You're having insight. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. What else? Yeah. My name is Pratik. Uh, I've been uh, to this uh, meditation class uh, two more times. And uh, uh, it's great to practice uh, this mindfulness meditation. The thing is that my mind also wanders a lot when I'm practicing, and uh, as you said, like, uh, when I'm uh, focusing on my breathing, focus for some time, and I'm just lost, and, yeah. and as you pointed out today, I'm, I think I'm the first type of personality, where I just uh, think that I'm, you know, I'm realizing, okay, it is how it is, it is how it is, and then I find myself sleeping sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, people who are that side, then you want to be a little bit more religious about the instructions. Like, like that's why sometimes people count their breaths, because yeah. they'll know when they stop paying attention. Or like using, I, I mentioned in the instructions, you could use a meditation word that uh, you use with the in and out. Any words will do. But that way, you'll notice you've stopped repeating those words, and then that's the telltale sign that you're spacing out. And because you'll need some cues to know that you're not really paying attention anymore. You're just sort of in the softness, the tranquility of the mind. And it won't be long before the mind will be asleep. And the thing is, it feels really good. That tranquility feels good. And it is good compared to being out in the world and stressed out. But it, you're not going to learn anything if that's all you do is tranquilize your mind. It's like going home and taking drugs. Except these drugs don't have any side effects. You know, it's a good drug. If you're going to do tranquilizers, you know, <laughs> falling into this side of the practice is the way to do it. But you won't learn anything, even if you get really good at it. After 20, 30 years, you won't have learned anything about the mind. So we don't want to just do that. Yeah, thanks for sharing your practice. And you heard a couple people mention they've taken this class a number of times. And I mentioned too, you know, we're all beginners. Even people have been doing this a long time. We have a lot of momentum towards distractedness. I mean, you just look at our culture, the whole economy, not the whole economy, a lot of the economy is built around distraction. We've got the smartest people in our culture thinking about things to sell us that will distract us. I mean, it's amazing. The internet is an amazing ocean of distraction. <laughs> have you noticed? <laughs> if you haven't, you're lucky. And so, uh, we have to have a long view about this training. The nice thing about this training is, it's beneficial in the beginning. This is the Buddha said this. The beginning, the middle, and the end. So it's not like we got to do this for, you know, 13 lifetimes before we have any benefit. You'll start noticing the benefits even from a little practice. Even the insight that Noel mentioned about catching in the set. Like, even though she became aware through watching, knowing a memory, of how off her mind was yesterday or whatever it was a few days ago. But even that insight, like she said, it's liberating. It felt good. She was delighted to see how crazy the mind was because it's much better to see that the mind is crazy than to just be crazy. <laughs> if you're going to be crazy, it's much better to know it 
Because when we know it, there's an intuitive sense that there's another way. But when we don't know it, we literally feel imprisoned by the mind or by the patterns of the mind, the habits of the mind. I want to cover just a couple of nuts and bolts before we end. So everybody who had signed up as of a couple days ago got an email earlier this afternoon, not too long ago, with the handouts for week one, three handouts. Um, so when you go home tonight, if you didn't get that email, that means I don't have your email address. So on the sheet tonight, you should be putting your email down only if you didn't get that email either this afternoon or earlier in the week, somebody sent an email reminding the people that had signed up. That was about a week ago or five days ago. So if you haven't gotten any email from us, then make sure your email is on that sheet. Or send me an email later in the week, mark at commongroundmeditation.org, and we'll get you on those that email list so you can get the handouts for the retreat. So we no longer print them, we just send them out to people digitally, save some trees, and just makes it simpler for me. Um, and one of the handouts is uh, describes how the center operates. Some of you know this, but many of you don't. I'll just say something briefly, but you can read the third handout. So we don't charge for any of the programs at the center, and we don't offer any suggested donations. And it's part of this spiritual practice of giving and receiving. And it's not just meant to sort of be some clever fundraising technique. It's really about living, and it really works. So whatever you do in any of your relationships with your job, with your partner, with your kids, you can cultivate this attitude of freely giving and freely receiving. And it will really make your life come alive. So in terms of common ground, whenever you come here, practice receiving everything as a free gift. And it isn't easy to receive things as a free gift. Right? We, we feel more safe paying for things and just somebody gives it and no strings attached. There's nothing expected back. So the idea is you should practice feeling good that it is in fact a free gift. It is arriving because of everything everybody's done ahead of time to make this place, to have these teachings. All that is given freely. So if you're inspired to give, and we're like any nonprofit organization, you know, we've got office staff that we pay, and we've got a building, and I have to earn a living, and all those normal expenses. So if you decide to give money or volunteer your time, that should be seen as a free gift. Not because I took something I have to give, because what you took was a free gift. You didn't take anything. It was freely offered. So if you give, give because you want to give. Practice. I know that's not easy for me. It's not easy for any of us to give freely, no strings attached, because it makes you feel good to give. Give an amount that makes you happy. If you give too much, you won't be happy. If you don't respond in any way, you may not feel happy. See? So, check that out. That's all I have to say. If you want more, you can read that sheet. It gives you a little bit more information. Of course, there's any number of ways to do it. People put themselves on a monthly donation scheme. People who have been around for a while. Or you can contribute each week, or you can leave a check at the end, or you can do nothing. Nobody's going to know. It's all up to you. Anything works. So if you have questions about that, though, feel free to talk to me afterward. <laughs>